Welcome to the second in this series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name is Tracy Parr and I'm the Director of Good Thinking, London's Digital Mental Health and Wellbeing Service. These are challenging and uncertain times for all of us. Over the coming weeks, we will be publishing a series of podcasts on a variety of subjects, from experiences of people directly or indirectly affected by coronavirus and the approaches they are taking to staying mentally well to top tips on what you can do to stay healthy. In this second podcast, Good Thinking's clinical director, psychiatrist Dr. Richard Graham is in discussion with Stephen Oliver. Stephen is a retired bishop, the retired bishop of Stepney in fact, and former BBC chief producer. Today, Stephen and Richard will be discussing how the world has changed and we can all appreciate that, despite this being a beautiful sunny day, uh, how the world has changed and how we can keep hope alive. So many thanks to both of you and over to you, Richard. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you very much, Stephen, for being able to uh, find some time in these pressing and turbulent times to talk with us. I was thinking as Tracy was uh, introducing this podcast that we can't possibly know what the world will be like for any listener to it because of the rapidity of change and the new guidelines and recommendations for how we live sort of coming through almost every day. Given your experience of uh, supporting people and uh, listening to them over the years, what do you think would be most helpful for people to keep in mind and hold on to at this point? Uh, thanks, Richard. I think there are a number of things. One is that we have to recognise that this is a very different situation than anything that we've had before. But there are features to it, I think, that we can recognise. So, for example, when I look back on my life, the thing that strikes me uh, is uh, the three-day week in the 1970s when mm -hmm. industrial relations in this country were just so appallingly bad. Uh, we had the miners there, we had power cuts, and these weren't things that just came and went. They went on for quite a long time. And I can remember those nights when there was no electricity at all. So in those days, there was no television then. That was a lot of people's heating went off. Uh, you were sat in a dark room with candles. And then when you, when I was there, you know, I, I was in contact with a number of older people. And you'll appreciate this, Richard, that uh, for some people with a bit of dementia, do you really want them to be sat in a room with candles around I mean, there's a real risk there so for each individual case you had to adapt what you were doing and how you were trying to help them the difference here of course is that i was actually able in the 1970s to go and visit people in their homes i was able to set up things there talk to them but it's not like that now i mean i if i was uh, doing that now i couldn't actually go into people's homes to do that so this is very different also, we must remember that there are some advantages that we've got now. So in those days, all we had was a landline telephone. Today, of course, we've got the internet, we've got email, we've got any number of ways of keeping in touch with people. Uh, we've got our mobile phones. And all these are things that we can turn to our advantage. So some things that we face now are very different. Other things in terms of people's tenacity, in terms of their buoyancy, in terms of their grit, uh, and in terms of the challenging times, well, those are not that different. Though, of course, you have to recognize that people's resources differ from person to person. 
Of course. And uh, I think you, you highlight um, something that struck me then listening to you about the 1970s. And although I look far younger um, than <laughs> my age would would suggest, I do remember actually that period of, of candles and power cuts. And although as a child I'd loved television and thought that was one of the, the most fantastic aspects of life, there was something really special about everyone being together candlelit rooms that was in some ways preferable it kind of brought us closer so i guess one always has to hold out for possibility that a change in circumstance or, or situation might actually have some uh, aspects that you just wouldn't have anticipated and i i suspect we will be seeing that as well as the frustrations and challenges of, of being isolated or in a in a lockdown situation and isn't that one of the things that that we have to try and encourage in each other is that sense of positivity there are enough downsides to this and goodness me it comes at you you know every five minutes doesn't it if you if you're um if you're locked into the news all the time and i think that that's a real danger for people but what you get from that is so much negativity and and we need to turn that around to say well, in every situation, there is some opportunity. There's something different that you can do. And it's not the same as it was, but that doesn't mean to say it's worse. You can find really positive things to do with your time. One of the challenges for us all is to stretch that aspect of our minds that sometimes does get a bit dampened, I think, by too much passive consumption of media in the good and the bad sense. To use imagination as something and creativity to look for opportunities. Um, it struck me that perhaps one aspect of hope is to believe that it is possible for something unexpected to happen that may be more positive than you could have predicted. So absolutely, it's a, a, an opportunity whilst also holding on to the reality that for some, there will be terrible anxieties, losses, challenges that they would really rather not be living through. Yes, and I think one of the things that I've said to my friends, which I, I find helpful, because, of course, I instinctively want to say, as we would all want to say, if you're feeling a bit down, you know, don't hesitate, give me a ring. I want to say to them and have said to them, if you're feeling a bit down, of course, you know, and you want to chat, give me a ring. But if you're feeling up, would you like to give me a ring as well? Because I might be feeling a bit down. And it's not just sharing the bad things, it's actually sharing the good things. Suddenly, as you say, you know, coming across something that you've never recognized before or never seen before or, or thought to yourself, you know, I've been, I've been intending to do that for a long time and I've never got round to it. This is the chance for me to do it. And to ring a mate and say, do you know what? You know that thing I've always been going on about and I've never actually done it. Well, I'm, be I'm beginning to do it. I'm going to start today and do it. That's the kind of natural, I think, interaction that keeps people buoyant rather than going into a, a terribly negative thing. I think that's absolutely right. To be reconnected with the things that give other people's pleasure or that they enjoy, you know, to communicate that and, and kind of share that interest in a way that can open up, you know, that curiosity, that desire to know more, to engage further. All is about making life an enjoyable sort of experience. So I think that's a fantastic idea. And it was making me think of how we're seeing around the country people 
engaging in all sorts of activities to support um, NHS workers or, or each other in their communities. And every time we give, of course, we do receive something in return. So it's, yeah, a fantastic suggestion to reach out when you're in good spirits or doing something that really uh, feels very positive for you to share that. Yeah, there were two things today. My One of my neighbours rang up and said, we're just passing the word that the local shop here uh, is now taking orders. Now, they've never done this before, but you can ring them up, and if they've got the stuff, of course, but you can do that for several days in advance. So, you know, next Thursday, I might need a few things like this as essentials, uh, and, and they will now deliver it. Now, that's something that's really responding to a lot of people's anxiety. You know, how am I going to get out? How am I going to get to the shops and so on? Uh, and the other thing was, just going back to what I said earlier, I've been going on for, for ages. My wife's been going on for ages. Will I mend the side gate? And I've been saying, oh, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll do it. So uh, today I said, I'm going to mend the gate. And I actually, you know, set to, to do that. And I... I emailed a friend and said, you'll be glad to know I found something really positive to do today. I'm going to mend the gates. And the reply came back, well, thank God for that, because we're all going to set up with your wife moaning like mad that you won't mend the gate. So there are, there are positives on every side, Richard. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, it probably is worth, though, a, a sort of touching on the challenges that some will face where there, there won't be so many sort of opportunities, certainly uh, immediately, for them to, to do something. And it struck me that there will be many people overwhelmed, challenged, anxious, perhaps even frightened, for whom those um, feelings are going to colour that sort of sense of opportunity. And I, I wonder if you had any thoughts uh, in your experiences of, of kind of how you can help someone who is kind of drowning in worry. I think it's a real challenge, isn't it, this? I mean, my, my feeling always is that this is where communities come into play, and even, as I say, <laughs> even in London. I mean, and I always viewed London in one sense as a string of different villages. It's not that, that there mm -hmm. aren't any communities in London. I think there are, there are fantastic communities in London. Uh, sometimes you get a bit overwhelmed with the size of London that that kind of phases you. But mm. life on the ground isn't like that. And I think with people who do feel very, very frightened and understandably so at the moment uh, and, and, um, and a bit overwhelmed by everything that kind of paralyzes them, that's when you yeah. need the network yeah. of the community to, to give them a sense of, apart from anything else, a sense of perspective. I mean, we all know particularly older people, says he counting himself amongst them now. But those that live alone very often get things out of proportion, don't they? Because I can remember a aunt of mine uh, who lived up in Yorkshire. Uh, she lived on her own. She was, good heavens, I mean, she was a senior lecturer at university, you know, a very intelligent woman. Uh, and, and then she retired and she lived on her own. And, and I can remember ringing her up one day and the milkman hadn't brought the milk. And it was a major, major thing for her that the milkman hadn't brought the milk. Now, the fact that a neighbour could go and get her some milk, the fact that actually she got milk in the fridge uh, didn't seem to come into the picture. It was just this one fixated thing and i think what you can do yeah. for each other is to 
keep a sense of perspective and proportion that yes it's not it's it's not good that the milkman hasn't come but you know it's not the end of the world there are other ways of dealing with this and you get that when you get this interaction that's when we need community more than anything else i think that's incredibly helpful because i think when we do get stuck with a particular thought or, or feeling we can be sort of literally stuck in our own minds rather too much and so having that other person you know maybe practically coming up with a solution or sometimes a different point of view can kind of disrupt that stuckness and allow for life to continue yeah and i think that means that sometimes you know when you're when you're just calling somebody um just having a quick conversation with them or something i mean i can remember uh somebody with me when i was um when i'd lost my wife my first wife and uh, i was really in the in in a mess uh, she used to ring up and she just used to say, I don't want a long chat. I'm just ringing up to say hello. You know I'm thinking about you. Are you okay? And and the conversation never lasted more than, what, five minutes at, at the most. And I used to, looking back, I really valued that. Not because anything was done particularly, but simply because yeah. somebody had made contact with me. And they didn't want anything from me in, in that sense. You know, they weren't, they didn't ring up for a jolly chat, but they did make, they did ring up for a, for a very real conversation in terms of, I'm making connection with you. It kind of brings you out of yourself, disrupts whatever else was on your mind for a moment. And like fresh air then that allows you to to breathe and, and to, to move on. I, I was struck listening to you as well that one of the things about when you're overwhelmed and perhaps feeling hopeless, um, it often feels there's, there's nothing you can do. And I don't know, uh, I may not have this correct, but um, I don't know whether hope in religious terms was uh, thought to be like a, a grace that was bestowed upon you. Um, but it strikes me rather like physical fitness. It's about something that you have to do, that you have to keep going, um, and, and that hope, in a way, comes from activity as much as it does um, from you know somebody reaching out and, and, and so on. And, and uh, this might be a big ask of everyone, but there is something about that commitment to carrying on, as, as the famous phrase goes, that does seem to me quite important at this point. I think you're absolutely right, Richard. And I think there are so many different strands in there, but but just two or three that I would pick up. One is that hope, certainly in religious terms, is not the same as a mere optimism. It's not the same as, oh, well, yeah. things will sort themselves out in time. That, you know, yeah. it's the old yeah. adage, if you can keep your head while all around are losing theirs, you simply don't know what's going on. There, there is a sense in which that kind of blind optimism doesn't do anybody any good. But hope comes from, from facing the reality of the situation and knowing that, that there are things there that it's not going to be the end of the world. It, it's, it's very scary, but there are people working in our present situation. There are people working like crazy in the NHS to, to help those that are ill. There are people working like crazy on a vaccine. There are people working like crazy. You know, I was very impressed that the Russians actually sent doctors to northern Italy. You know, we're not on our own here. There is there is good grounds mm -hmm. for being hopeful. Now that's not that's not a, a superficial cheerfulness, but it is good grounds for not giving in to an overwhelming despair. 
which is which is different. And the other thing I think is again, if you want to take a, a religious narrative, when things got really bad in old Israel, you know, you you then got people doing things that would not come to fruition until many years later, and it was betting that things would get better. And, and a, a, just let me give you a simple example. Uh, yesterday, my wife went out and um, she bought a tennis racket. Uh, and she said, one day I will play tennis again with this racket. Now, that was a sign of hope. It wasn't mere optimism. It was actually putting your money where your mouth is. But you're, you're quite right. It was doing something that in a way, um, kind of embodied the hope in a particular action. And it's that that I think uh, in your spirit and your sense of buoyancy. I might add as well that I would see a degree of resilience in that activity, given our experience of English <laughs> weather. So um, <laughs> there's, there's hope and a certain amount of grit in that activity. I think, I think the, other, um, the other important thing is not, and, and this is a bit more tricky because um, I think it's people's natural tendency, but but there is a tendency to look back. And I think the point about hope is that you can actually look forward, and 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 looking yeah. forward, it's going to be very different. You've got to accept it. Life is not going to be the same. It's going to be very different. It is going to be yeah. different, and that in itself brings new opportunities for things. I don't know what it's going to be like, but you know, in one sense, I'm quite interested to find out, and. Uh, that I was in um, Memphis recently at the um, Museum of the Civil Rights Movement, and my word, they went through it. My goodness me, those were really dark days, and, and they were under a lot of a lot of threats, a lot of oppression. But I noticed this sign uh, which said, "Don't look back. You're not going that way." And I thought that was quite an interesting take on looking forward and not just dwelling on the past. Absolutely. And I, I think you're pointing out that that backward looking, that sort of preference for nostalgia can almost be a form of, of sort of, I don't know, self-harm is probably a bit strong, but often when we look back with those rose-tinted spectacles, we're usually forgetting some of the difficult times as well. And so you know, the past is something easily idealized that we wish to return to, but the future is something we that's can build. Absolutely right. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that, Richard. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. One of the things that it might be worth sharing at this point is, uh, as part of good thinking, we're trying to provide some ideas and tips for people to engage with. And, and one of the ones which I think absolutely flows from what we've been discussing is that when you do feel overwhelmed and feel there's nothing you can do, don't focus on that. A bit like don't look back, but focus on what you can do. And even in the most restricted situations, whether it's a conversation, or making something, uh, doing something enjoyable, what, whatever it is, uh, and it really can be very, very small, do it. Because that kind of cuts through that belief that there is nothing else that you can do which, as you say, is, is the sort of road to despair. So I think this sort of idea we're sort of building on is, is that, you know, don't just keep um, carrying on, but keep doing yeah. stuff. And, uh, and if you can do it for others as well as yourself, um, and, even better. And I find it helpful that when I wake up in the morning, you know, and you, I suppose it's a habit, isn't it? Certainly it's a habit with me. Um, 
if I wake up and I start scrolling through the day, I know I'm probably not going to go back to sleep again. So, uh, and then, and that's quite a big shock when you begin to scroll through the day and there's nothing, you know, what am I going to do with this day? And it's at that point that I decide I'm going to do something. And it might be very small, might be incredibly small, but at least I've got something that I know I'm going to do. So when I get to go to sleep at night and I look back, I will be able to say at least one thing, you know, and and I did it this morning. I cleaned the silver. Now, you might think, you know, well, jolly good chap, you know, he's got silver to clean. I've got two candelabras and a little silver dish. uh, And the two silver candelabras are are not solid silver. They're only, you know, whatever. But I decided when I woke up this morning, I thought, you know, I'm going to clean that silver. And I did that this morning. And strangely, for such a small thing, it gave me incredible pleasure. Uh, And I know that when I go to sleep tonight and I look back and say, well, what else did you do? Well, I might not have done very much, but at least I cleaned the silver. You know, and that's a simple thing you can do. But I think what you're highlighting, which I think is really important in in the suggestion, is do something that you can complete. so you can actually see something at the end. So presumably your candelabras were gleaming in, in this, uh, as Tracy was saying, beautiful sunny day. And, and you, could, you could see that, and, and it's a tangible reward. Um, that's not, you know, I mean, there may be longer-term things you can do as well that are satisfying, but I think those little, almost quick wins of getting something that you can finish and see the benefit, the reward of. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it like that, but the minute that you point it out, that's exactly right. It's something that you need to begin and be able to end. Uh, and then you can look at it. So every time I pass it now, you know, I did that and I get pleasure out of it. And, and that's, and that's yes. great. Yeah. Well, if we took a 21st century position on this, you should take a selfie <laughs> next to them and, uh, <laughs> and get a few likes on your social media uh, profiles. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it really feels like this approach to don't sort of look back, don't, don't sink into worries and despair, but do some, do something, no matter how small that you can get something back and, and share yeah, that. As yeah, well. talk to somebody every day. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's what you were saying quite rightly at the beginning, that if you give something, you'll get it back. And, and even just making yeah. a phone call to somebody, you know, if you sit there saying, well, nobody's ever calls me and I'm, you know, I'm on here all alone. Well, when was the last time you called somebody? That's the really, the really important thing. Call somebody and then somebody else will call you. And then it builds up and you're not left alone. You're not isolated. And you, even more important, you don't get into that slough of despond, you know, that terrible, terrible fog in your head that you just can't get out of that's what you've got to avoid make it very clear it's very difficult to completely dispel that without connection with others who may surprise you in whatever way so always worth reaching out Uh, and speaking of other people we are kind of building a tradition in our podcast to ask some questions that help us get to know um who we're talking to and i i thought given that we're in an extraordinary time where people are having to restrict themselves in terms of where they're living and isolate themselves. Um, if you could choose three prominent people, famous people, 
Who would you choose, Stephen, to spend your two weeks, three weeks of isolation? Oh, gosh. Okay, just, just off the top, here's, here, here are three. Uh, the, first, the first may surprise you is Lily Langtree. Lily Langtree oh. <laughs> was, for some who know it, was a British-American socialite. She was um, uh, an actress. Uh, she had a relationship with the Prince of Wales, who became, of course, Edward VII. Uh, she had another relationship with Prince Louis of Battenberg. Uh, and he, in turn, was, if I remember rightly, the father of Earl Mountbatten of Burma. Uh, you know, Mountbatten, who was killed right. in, in, in Ireland and who was Prince Charles's great mentor, really. Now, the reason why, and she was their mistress, uh, amongst other things, but she was a very sharp woman. And the reason why I want to have her around is that the gossip would be just incredible. She would <laughs> to have the inside story on every history thing that has never come to light. She'd tell me all about the Battenbergs, all about the royal family, all about the Seventh and so on. So she's number one. Number two is um, okay. uh, I'd quite like to have Shakespeare around uh, because I think he mm -hmm. was the most remarkable observer of human beings. And I wouldn't want to talk to him about his plays particularly, but he clearly lived life. He was a bit of a lad in some ways, uh, but he could he could portray so well the the human things of, of jealousy in Othello, of of romance in Romeo and Juliet, and so on. And I just think he'd be a wonderful person to have around to talk about my own emotions. Mm. Uh, and then I think the third one, because I'm always fascinated by this guy, uh, is Einstein. Um, because Einstein came up with incredible uh, phrases and, and ways of seeing things. So he once said that imagination was more important than knowledge. And I think in many ways he's yes. right there. And what we were saying earlier in this podcast yeah. is that you've got to be able to imagine what a future you might not know what it's like but, you, but your imagination is very important uh, and and he also said just as an aside in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity and that's what we were saying as well wasn't it you know that that however we see this present time there are opportunities here so those are those are the kind of three that i'd want to have around i think we've got to know you very well as a person through those choices but I would point out as a psychiatrist that your first choice was someone who could seriously <laughs> dish the dirt. So um, <laughs> uh, I, I think you wouldn't be short of company with those three uh, for way beyond three weeks, I would guess. So very, very shrewd choices. What about any physical media or, or a book uh, uh, or even music that you could download? I mean, we were hearing... Uh, in a recent podcast, what a smart move it is to make sure you've got enough content on your phone should you have to go into hospital. Um, would there be anything of that sort? As I say, a book, a piece of music, uh, a film, a play yeah. um, that might be recorded? I think, Richard, I would want to cover as many bases as I could, really. So, <laughs> in a way, it's kind of okay. cheating, I suppose, to say. But... One of the things I would certainly have on my on my phone, uh, and this sounds very rarefied, doesn't it, is Beethoven's fifth piano concerto, The Emperor. Now, the reason why, mm -hmm. apart from the fact that I love that piece, and I can I drive people mad because I can play it in the car quite a lot, 
is that actually Leonard Bernstein pinched it for West Side Story. Um, same tune oh. as somewhere, uh, sometime, someday, whatever the lyrics are. Uh, I can remember um, somewhere we'll mm -hmm. find a new way of living, I think. Yeah, Again, yeah, speaks yeah. to me for today. Uh, someday we'll find a new way of living. We won't, I don't think we'll go back to the old ways of living. We'll find a new way. Um, but because I get two for the mm -hmm. price of one, uh, then I'll, I'll go for Beethoven, but I'll include within that Bernstein's West Side Story. Okay, I, I'm dealing with a tough negotiator. Um, and then finally, to plagiarise, perhaps a, a show you'll know well, um, would there be a luxury that you would want as well, something that might help you in those darker yeah. moments feel yeah, there's, absolutely. there's something Absolutely, everybody who knows me will, will know that my luxury is a shower and a decent shower at that. I need my shower in the morning, and right. if I don't get that, I'm a pretty grumpy old bishop, really. So uh, I don't want one of those that just dribbles. Uh, I want a decent shower. But if you can give me that with warm water, I'd be very happy. Warm water power shower, I believe the term would be, and I think we'll throw in a few luxury toilets. If I could well. just add one thing, Richard, and that is one of my predecessors, I, I used to work at St Paul's Cathedral, and one of my predecessors in the 19th century was a guy called Sidney Smith, uh, and uh, he was a great wit in his own day. And he, he, he's got two volumes of memoirs um, that are sitting on my bookshelf. <laughs> one day I'll finish them all, but they are, they are really quite funny in some ways. But one of the things that he said was, uh, it is the greatest of all mistakes to do nothing. Even if you can oh. only do a little, at least you can do something. And I think that's what we've been talking about this, yeah. today. I think absolutely. And uh, nobody should look at those activities with any sort of ruler or measurement system to sort of work out how uh, worthwhile or meaningful it is. It is simply do it. Yeah, I, I quite agree. Well, I think we've probably reached the time where we're sadly going to have to, to stop this conversation and, and listening to the sort of endlessly sort of lively thoughts that you've been able to share with us, Stephen. I, I think anyone who's been able to listen to this will hopefully be having all sorts of ideas buzzing around their minds now about what they can do, but also just looking for those surprises in life. As you say, you know, going back to West Side Story, there's a new way of living every day that we can embrace. And uh, perhaps that's really one of the best messages we can all take away from this. So thank you very much pleasure. for your time. Very great pleasure talking to you, Richard. And, um, We'll meet sometime physically, I hope. I, I, I very much hope we, we all do. Um, it might be a few weeks, but uh, there is that hope, isn't there, of, of getting yeah, together offline as well. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.